The Guardian. Hello and welcome to this Guardian Sustainable Business podcast supported by the Fairtrade Foundation. The Fairtrade movement's been going for more than 40 years, but actually, has it really made a dramatic impact? And what does the future hold? In this programme we ask, is Fairtrade going to work in the long term? As suppliers and retailers continue to cut costs, will they stay the course? And is the fair trade premium the best way to create a sustainable supply chain? We'll be debating the issues in just a moment. With me in the studio today are Mike Coop, Group Commercial Director at Sainsbury's, which is the world's largest retailer of fair trade products, Michael Gidney, Chief Executive of the Fair Trade Foundation, and down the line from Sussex, Linda Whetstone, co-author of Half a Cheer for Fair Trade, which is a report for the Institute for Economic Affairs a few years ago, who also is chairman of the Network for a Free Society. Let's start off looking at the Fair Trade Foundation. It's now in its 20th years, hopefully past its difficult teens. But Michael, has it actually come of age? I think there is something extraordinary going on. We have seen fair trade go from strength to strength in the UK um, and in other countries, even despite the recession. And that's because consumers, above all, are showing more interest than ever before in the provenance of their products, how they've been made, who made them, where they came from. More and more companies are responding to questions of sustainability and accountability in their supply chain than ever before. And the fact that uh, this year, in our 19th year, uh, the fair trade uh, in the UK, fair trade sales are 1.5 billion, 19% up year on year in a flatlining British economy, says that there is something solid and something here to stay. I, I was in Spain uh, last year, and so the UK market's very rosy, but in Spain they were really, really struggling. They still had the sort of Oxfam label as though it was a, as, as though it was a charity thing you should buy for doing the right thing rather than for buying a great product. Is, is this actually mainly still a UK phenomenon, or actually is it going to be gaining momentum worldwide? Well, it's certainly the case that Britain leads the world on fair trade. Britain is the, is the largest market, um, thanks in great part to um, the sincerity with which some of our commercial partners, such as Sainsbury, have taken, taken up the cudgels. But it's growing in other places too. So uh, in Germany last year, uh, their market grew by 38%. Um, the Dutch market is very strong. The American market is strong. It's true, in many other parts of the world, it's still a fledgling idea, um, And just as in the UK, countries like Spain are being supported by NGOs to get the fair trade concept known. But they're growing too. Slower, but they are growing. Mike, I'd like to come to you. In 2011, Sainsbury's was selling over 800 fair trade products. And you've got in your commitments for 2020 for sales to hit £1 billion. Can you just first of all say, why make that commitment? Why, Why is this important to you? Well, we first start stocking uh, fair trade products in 1996, um, and we made a a very significant commitment in the mid-2000s to move to 100% fair trade on our bananas, which I think was a significant stepping point, tipping point for the uh, fair trade movement and for fair trade in the UK. As Michael's already said, the critical concern for our customers is that they want us to believe and care about where the products come from that we sell, and that we have to reach through our supply chains to the primary sources, not just the UK sources, but the primary sources of the products that we sell. And fair trade is one of the ways that we can do that. There are many others, but fair trade is an important part of the overall sustainability agenda for Sainsbury's. Do you think that this is the the right approach, or do you think actually there's other examples of, of other systems that are coming along that actually may actually be better than fair trade? Well, fair trade is very important for us, uh, as I've already said, and we will sell something like £320 million worth of fair trade products this year, so we're a very significant player in the fair trade movement. But equally, 
there are other uh, initiatives, other sustainable uh, measurements that we also have within our business. So as an example, Marine Stewardship Council certified fish allows us to make sure that we're able to sell sustainable fish and that our customers understand and believe that we do that. So there are plenty of other examples within our business, but fair trade is a very important component of our overall sustainability offer. And uh, I was interviewing the CEO of Cafe Direct a few months ago, and he said it's really, really difficult to get consumers engaged because actually, you know, they, they might see fair trade, but actually, do they really care? I mean, do you, have, do you have evidence to show they really care about this? Absolutely. Customers really, really care about where the products that we sell come from. And that is the fundamental driver of why we do what we do. One of the reasons why we chose to work very closely with Fairtrade is it's probably the most recognised brand in this arena. So although customers can't always completely express what it stands for, they certainly know it's the right thing to be doing and, and therefore will see Fairtrade as an important part of our overall portfolio of, of products. Okay, thank you. Uh, Michael, I just want to come back to you. In terms of sort of the range of companies that are joining up, I mean, are we flatlining or actually is everyone, all these companies saying, God, I want to get involved now? Um, you're seeing uh, perhaps uh, some quality and quantity. So more companies are certainly signing up. Um, uh, we now work with 800 companies in the UK and that's more than ever before. Uh, but also you're seeing a depth of commitment. So you know, Mike's talking about the commitment from Sainsbury, which is trailblazing. And of course, what's very interesting then is you start to get a critical mass. Sainsbury was the first retailer to convert a whole category of bananas, to convert their banana offer back in 2007. Other retailers have followed suit. So there is, because of the competitive uh, market that the grocery sector is operated under in the UK, there is that incentive to erase the top, if you like, to be the leader in this. Um, and that can be incredibly powerful. Okay, and before I come to Linda, I just want to ask you one, one final question. 1.5 billion of sales sounds great, but in the scheme of things is, is a drop in the ocean. I mean, really, after, you know, 40 years, 45 years of sort of pushing this, surely that is actually a failure, isn't it? Oh, it's a start. It's a good start. Um, the, the, the thing that worries me most, actually, is we are, uh, we're not reaching enough producers. Uh, so globally, the fair trade system works with one and a quarter million farmers and workers in more than 60 countries around the world. That can be life-changing for farmers and workers. But of course, in an aggregate level, it's not nearly enough. The way to get scale is to get more commitment by more commercial partners and to keep beating the drum with the public, because the public want to see this more and more. Linda, coming to you, I mean, you've heard two very positive opening remarks about sort of fair trade. I mean, where, where do you sit? I think that fair trade is, is a flawed model because it tries to take the moral high ground and implies that fair trade is good and free trade is bad. It was, for me, flawed from the start in that way. It implies that any trade of any other sort is not fair and that the only way to help poor farmers is via the fair trade model. Whereas this is the opposite of the truth. And you raised the point that the sales are 1.5 billion, which is a drop in the ocean free trade can be shown to have lifted millions from poverty over the years. Um, and what about the producers outside the fair trade net? Most of the poor producers are outside that net. And I think to sell a product on the basis that is done when it doesn't touch most producers seems to me to be, be a weakness. And the other flaw that, that bothers me is that, that fair trade try to make when you're shopping if you don't buy fair trade make you feel guilty and actually buying fair trade is really a charitable decision as many others and why should people be made to feel guilty if for whatever reason they prefer to support orphanages or deaf people or donkeys um 
I, I think it's only going to touch a few people. It may be growing, but I think anything that damages most people's view about the benefits of free trade will harm more people in the long run. We'll get uh, Michael um, and uh, Mike to respond to that because I've never heard uh, fair trade uh, compared with donkeys before, but we'll come back to that. But I just want to challenge you because, you know, one of the problems people say with free trade is that actually it created the very abuses that fair trade is there to, to challenge and try and actually create that fair process so that actually those people at the end of the supply chain who are the weakest and most marginalised do not get abused. I mean, surely uh, you would give credit for that. Free trade is undoubtedly the most effective poverty reduction strategy the world has ever seen. As countries increase the freedom of their trade, so the standards of living go up. And that just happens absolutely everywhere. So although um, you can say that some fairly awful things happen in free markets and that fair trade can protect a few people from them, I think that wherever you look, where there have been freer markets there is less poverty and where there are less free markets there is more poverty. I'm not equating fair trade with less free markets but I think you're only going to touch a few people and that it's only by improving the institutions of government and institutions like free trade that you are going to lift huge numbers from poverty. That's what history has shown. Mike, coming back to Sainsbury's, so I'm sure you, you support free trade and, and you do fair trade. I mean, this point that Linda said, it's actually you're making people feel guilty. Actually, it's just a charitable act. What would be your response to that? Well, our customers demand of us that we do the right thing throughout our supply chains. And they would judge us by that. And increasingly, that is the way customers view retailers in the UK market. And we've seen some very notable examples of perhaps where some of the mechanisms of free trade have broken down and had led led to outcomes which aren't necessarily desirable. I am a massive advocate of free trade, so be under no illusions. I'm I'm starting from the premise that I work for a commercial organization that, that has a responsibility ultimately to serve to serve its customers in the most efficient way possible. However, I also know that there are things within our supply chain that we have a responsibility to make sure are correct and right in our customers' eyes. Uh, And fair trade is one, not the only, but one mechanism to achieve that. One of the challenges of the fair trade structure is to make sure that not only the economic benefits of the primary producers are maintained, but also the economic benefits of free trade, as in the efficiencies of scale, uh, the opportunity of, of managing and making supply chains more efficient are also brought into the fair trade mechanism. So uh, for me, it's not an either or. We need to do both. But equally, I would accept that there are some challenges, and I'm sure Michael would accept there are some challenges within the, free, the fair trade movement to make some of the fair trade mechanisms more appropriate to free trade markets. OK, maybe we'll come on to that a bit later. But, but Michael, um, are you similar to a donkey sanctuary? <laughs> Um, I won't say Eeyore at this point. I think the uh, the starting point for all of this, for us, is producers. And if you ask farmers what they want from trade, they tell us repeatedly, actually what they want is sales. They want market access. They want market access, either want a fair price, and they want market access on fair terms. They want some kind of level playing field. I don't believe what they need is any more economic theorists. If we really truly believe that free trade, unfettered free trade is the way to solve poverty and the way to solve some of the social iniquity in the world, then we've all been asleep during the banking crisis. The federal mechanism was set up precisely because of market failure, free market failure in uh, smallholder copy production in the 
1980s where smallholders were being paid below the cost of production. Now, that is not a functional market. That is a disastrously short-term market. So it's the market beginning to eat itself. And, you know, yes, of course, our, our starting point, we were set up by NGOs. We we're unashamedly about livelihoods and social welfare and supply chains. But we're also savvy enough to recognise that it needs to work for all in the chain, as, as, as Mike was saying. So 20 years on, uh, we believe that within the fair trade approach, there is a way of making trade work for producers, for intermediaries, brand owners and retailers, and ultimately consumers. And that is the thing that, that drives the whole thing. Um, I would also say that fair trade, of course, uses the free trade model. You're entirely I- entitled to go and buy whatever coffee you want to. We showcase the benefits of buying our coffee, just as others will showcase benefits of doing their own thing. It's an entirely voluntary mechanism. There's no compulsion. And anybody who feels guilty has probably been ris- misread the market signals or rather misunderstands their own impulses. Okay, Linda, well, what would your response be? Well, I certainly don't think that I misunderstand my own impulses. And I know many, many people, and when they talk about fair trade, you know, they say, well, they want to help poor people and they don't mind paying a bit more for it. So I think that they do understand the impulses. Um, You talked about the market breakdown and and particularly in coffee, but that wasn't a market failure. Governments tried to rig the market through the International Coffee Agreement and they subsidised over plantation with the encouragement of well-meaning but misguided aid agencies. And then there was a crash in prices and obviously the coffee producers suffered. I mean, markets do go up and down and even with fair trade, markets do go up and down. But you can help a few producers, but I think that you can't help the poorest producers because you have fairly stringent um, criteria for joining in and it's quite expensive to join in. So I'm happy to say that some producers can be benefited, but I don't think the poorest can be and I don't think the great majority can be. If one is, is denigrating free trade along the way, they can even be harmed. Let's move on to hear from a business that has been one of the Fair Trade Foundation's earliest supporters, Cafe Direct, which I mentioned a few minutes ago. They've had a very difficult time over the last five years, but they've soldiered on and launched their own mark, the gold standard, that they claim goes beyond fair trade's minimum standards. We asked Wolfgang Weinmann, Head of Strategic Development for Cafe Direct, how has the recession affected his industry? It has affected everyone. So from a grower perspective, uh, they have much more uh, challenges uh, on the ground as well. There's much more competition for raw materials. And for us as a, as a brand, as a consumer-facing brand, competing in, in a marketplace that's highly competitive and, uh, you know, in, in, in a retail setting where over the last couple of years, it all has been around value, right? Uh, so how you know, cheap can I get my tea and coffee? So for us, and with our business model, that's really challenging because we don't pass on you know, the cost downwards to the, to the growers. We can't and we won't. So we have to absorb that, of course. So we have dealt with uh, better efficiencies within our you know, operations, of course. Dialogue with the grower communities in terms of our possibilities and capabilities of investment back. You know, a really tangible example of where Cafe Direct and me as a, you know, a brand go beyond the, the minimum fair trade standards is in that at least a third of our profits 
of the overall profits of the company are reinvested back into communities in forms of very tangible projects in, for example, quality improvement, management uh, skills, climate change adaptation uh, projects. Uh, so nothing to do with the so-called fair trade premium, which goes into uh, social projects like uh, education and health uh, uh, infrastructure, but it goes really very specifically into you know uh, making the grower organizations more sustainable businesses. I think fair trade does have a role in the future, but it is probably a very different one from the original outset. As Cafe Direct, uh, you know, would like to see it uh, to to speed up much, much more. Is that possible? Probably not. And and the main reason is, once you grow as a system, as a movement, and you bring in very, very different stakeholders, of course, you know, you have to accommodate different uh, perspectives and different, uh, you know, outlooks. And that's difficult. So, you know, you lower constantly the common ground and you have to. Because otherwise, you know, uh, it, it won't work. And I think for a company like Cafedrec, that's just not good enough. Because instead of, you know, going ahead and, and progressing, you go actually a little bit backwards or you it's stale and it's just standing still. Uh, that was Wolfgang Weinmann, who's uh, from Cafe Direct. Mike, I'd like to come to you first because there's an implied criticism of, so it's great that retailers like Sainsbury's have expanded the market but you tended to do it as the minimum standards. And, and that's actually, companies like Cafe Direct actually say they reinvest a third of their profits. They work very closely with those communities. Whereas you're so big, you actually just often buy from just third party people. Is there a sense that actually size isn't the answer? That actually it's about the relationships that matter more? Well, clearly our scale gives us opportunities that perhaps wouldn't be with other people in this in this area but what we can provide is access to market so there is a a significant benefit uh, for fair trade but also for other similar organizations to be able to work with Sainsbury's the issue I think that's being raised is increasingly customers are concerned about what we would call the triple bottle bottom line and fair trade probably deals with one and a half of the triple bottom line and we are concerned not just about social and economic sustainability but also environmental sustainability and going back on the question of uh, you know what's missing from the overall agenda if you take water resources as an example if the free market operates without any constraints then water resources in a lot of the production countries that we work with become an issue that is clearly something that we have to be concerned about because ultimately it means that the sources from which we buy products are not going to be sustainable in the, the medium to long term. So we have to think and we are thinking about a broader agenda in this in this area. I think the other thing we can bring to the party is shared learning. So we have lots of learning from our UK producer groups. So for instance, we have a fantastic relationship with 300 dairy farmers in the UK. And one of the things that we found is just sharing knowledge between farmers makes a huge difference to the supply chains and ultimately the economic, social and environmental sustainability of those producers. And we think we can apply some of that learning and some of that knowledge uh, to the fair trade type mechanisms. Uh, Linda, I just want to come to you. you, What would your recommendation be to Sainsbury's? Should they just actually give up fair trade altogether and just actually do something completely different? And also, what would your advice be to these small, small, not all emerging, but some are emerging like Divine Chocolate, whether it's Cafe Direct, these small companies that actually have built their sort of um, their whole brand around fair trade? Do Do you think they should all just dump it or what would your advice be? 
I have to admit to the big company I'm talking to, Sainsbury's, I've shopped with you for 55 years and um, I, it would take an awful lot to move me away from you because Thank I, do, you. I trust uh, the suppliers. But I have to say that the fact that you will not sell me um, non-fair trade bananas makes me very cheesed off and sends me to another shop because I want uh, all those producers to have a chance, not just the very, very few who are connected up to, to fair trade. I'd also like to talk something else you said that if water markets works without restraint water problems are going to increase i would have thought that where water is not directed to its optimal use by markets the problems will increase you seem to be inferring that that where there were water markets the problems the problems were getting worse but maybe that's a diversion having looked at fair trade moderately closely even though i may be an economic theorist I think that, that the complications and the bureaucracies in it are not going to be going to aid economic development. I mean, fair trade operates to keep the poor more or less in their place. It's very keen on cooperatives, which are not the best way of producing. It sustains less competitive farmers. It holds back diversification, mechanization, and, and moves up the value change. I would have thought the way Cafe Direct was going, where they have their own direct um, relationships was probably a better way to go. But I can see Sainsbury's point that, that they are very large and that that is a more difficult way for them to go. Michael, one of the complaints about from some of the smaller fair trade companies is that they do far more than some of the big suppliers. They, they, you know, it's almost a fair trade plus, but there's no, there's no branding that they can, they, they can do. And actually there's no representation in the market for how, what differentiation there is. So you can go into Sainsbury's, you can buy a Sainsbury's own brand, fair trade tea, or you can buy a Cafe Direct, but actually the relationships may be different. I mean, is, there, is this the time to actually change the branding and actually create these premium brands? Or how, how do we actually show consumers actually what the differences are? It's undoubtedly the case that companies such as Cafe Direct are incredibly important in terms of, I mean, not just what they do for farmers themselves within their own supply chains, but the, the signal they send to the market, uh, their, their position as pioneers, as, as best practitioners, if you like. And we work very hard to support them. That said, all of us together in fair trade, and I, I mean the companies as well as producers, as well as us, the Fair Trade Foundation, yeah, are still in the relatively early stages of seeing traction. So we've talked about you know Sainsbury being the first to to bring a whole category switch in, but that was only in two thousand seven. So only a small number of years, and fair trade are actually. Beyond the standards, fair trade is about a relationship between buyer and seller at different points in the chain. And what we need to do is to encourage everybody to move from compliance to commitment. So the, the standards are there as a way of guiding those companies who have thought about fair trade or thought they wanted to do something around sustainability. You can do it like this, and here is a way in for you. But what we find is those companies who make those first steps, they start to you know, become compliant with those standards, then see the business benefit. They see the benefit in terms of their branding, sure, but they also see the benefit in terms of their own supply chain. So they want to go further. And there are all kinds of really interesting examples where actually together then, Fair Trade Foundation in terms of the standards provider and the communicator as an NGO, working with the companies, can do extraordinary things together with the farmers. And it's not about 
keeping farmers in their place. More and more, we're seeing uh, farmers uh, using fair trade to springboard them into the next stage of development, whether it's through diversification and the cotton farmers, for example, who now sell food crops on the local market, cash crops on the local market, as well as cotton, or um, to move up the value chain. Uh, tea growers uh, in uh, Kenya are, um, uh, have uh, invested in their own packaging facility. Another tea group in Kenya have bought their own their own factory actually through fair trade premiums. So farmers are diversifying, they're moving up the value chain. And actually what this tells us is what actually we already always knew, which was small-scale farmers and workers are not charity cases, they're not beneficiaries, they want to be active participants in trade. If you give them a shot at it, they'll transform their own communities better than any other aid effort ever will. So Mike, I mean, we've, we've heard about the importance of not only providing a market for fair trade goods, but also about the importance of deepening the relationships with the farmers. So can you just tell me a little bit about, actually, you are broadening the market, You're, you've got this target for 1 billion of sales by 2020, but actually, what are you doing to actually really make a difference on the ground and and deepen your relationships with these farmers as opposed to just buying fair trade products. Uh, And that's a significant challenge for us and and one of the things that we think about a lot within our business. Our customers with challenges to reach through our supply chains and understand the primary source of all the products that we buy and sell ultimately to them. Uh, And we use, say for instance, our dairy development group as a great example of how we're doing that in the UK. So we work very closely with 300 farmers We share data between those farmers and that allows them to do a much better job of running their businesses uh, and apply the learnings to the triple bottom line. So not only the economic sustainability, but also the social and environmental sustainability. We can start using those types of mechanisms with our farmers, not just in the UK, but throughout the world. And that's our challenge uh, looking forward. Uh, We've got a number of initiatives on the ground now where we're looking at things like water sustainability, uh, providing the farmers with access to machinery, as Michael's already referred to, uh, to be able to, for instance, do their own nutcracking on site, uh, increasingly to put the wherewithal on the ground to be able to work up the value chain. So not just produce the primary product, but also produce the packaging, pack the products and ultimately uh, ship to the UK. So all of those things are things that we're working on. Michael, I just want to, one of the things Wolfgang warned about was that um, that fair trade may be a victim of its own success. I mean, what, what would be your response to that? Um, I think we all need to change. This is, as I said, very dynamic. Uh, we need to look at uh, what tools are needed to bring about the kind of social development that we are all engaged in in our different ways um, uh, in uh, the global south. Uh, I think the future for fair trade is maybe a couple of things. The first is I think we need to be unashamedly business focused. And by that, I don't mean, you know, suddenly we're going to water our standards down. We have to remember without question our charitable mission through all of this, which is fighting poverty through trade. By business focus, I mean business focus for producers. back, Back to my earlier point about producers not being charity cases. They want market access. They know what they're going to do when they get there. They just need that shot at the goal. And uh, that can be transformative. What we need to do is to make sure we are, if you like, localizing fair trade. In the future, I would imagine there will be a uh, more of a, a sort of global set of principles. This is what fair trade needs to be globally, the sorts of uh, behaviors we need to be verifying because we do need to be able to guarantee uh, something back to consumers. But at a local level, there is something much more valuable 
in fair trade for businesses. So, for example, you know, what can we do in hired labour situations in uh, East African horticulture? The, the social development and, and political circumstances there are different from hired labour situations in Latin America, and we've never approached it in that way before. So I think there will be a maturing of our business focus on the ground with farmers so that they can run better businesses. In the north, I think we need to be, and I think we're starting to become already more uh, outspoken about the need for faster and better change. Um, So, uh, yes, the public are interested in this. Uh, The IGD, the Institute of Grocery Distribution, um, uh, their own research says that only 1% of the British population expect to be buying less fair trade in the future. More than a third actively have looked for fair trade products in the last month. So there is a ready market there. What we need to do is to try and capture that and to encourage companies to engage, to jump in with both feet. Linda, just want to come back to you. Um, let's say tomorrow you woke up and you were in Michael's position. You were the, now the head of the Fair Trade Foundation. What would you do? Well, I'd have to think that fair trade can help some people, a few people, but it can't help everybody. And that what will help far more people if we promoted that more um, and talked about that more and tried to achieve that more was when you've got the main institutions of the country working in a way that enables development for everybody, not just for the few people who can be picked up in in fair trade. I mean, you know, rule of law, um, a, a justice system in the country, private property and trade. Trade is what lifts people out of poverty, trade and exchange. And yes, certainly fair trade is doing it in a limited way, but but it isn't going to help everybody. And that's what I want to see. Great. Michael, what would you respond to that? Let me agree with Linda on this. Uh, we all want to see trade working for everybody. Um, I, I would just encourage you maybe not to add fair trade off too soon because we are still only in, 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 in the kind of gathering momentum phase. One of the really interesting things that's happening uh, in Malawi, for example, is where we started to see big company commitments, Tate and Lyle Sugar, for example, working sourcing sugar from Malawi, um, Sainsbury sorting, sourcing nuts from Malawi. We're starting to see quite uh, major social development transformations. Producer groups are becoming much more empowered. Many, many things are happening on the ground. But equally, what's interesting now is the Malawian government is including fair trade as part of their export promotion strategy, recognising that actually it isn't, it isn't just free trade they need. What they want is free trade which works for them. So the point about fair price, fair market access is something that the Malawian government itself is taking up. So you could start to see how actually this could start to influence influence rulemaking globally around trade policy, but from the bottom up. And that's the bit that's been missing ever since the Doha agenda started. Mike, I just want to come back to you on the point about sort of consumers getting involved and pushing for change, because you say people care about it. But actually, in all the surveys we look at, there's sort of that sort of 15% of people who are sort of green who would actually pay a premium. But actually, most retailers and most companies, actually, the vast majority of people actually really don't care that much. What can you do more to actually really build that proposition amongst consumers and your customers to actually really develop their understanding of what fair trade is? Because a lot of people might say, oh, fair trade, that's good, but they won't actually have any knowledge and understanding of what it actually means. Most people don't understand the issue of the premium and the money that goes to the community. I mean, should you actually be doing more to educate your customers? Oh, this is a a common thing that's uh, put in our direction. And, And of course, we have a responsibility to help educate our customers and to help uh, them understand what we're doing. But in the end, a lot of these issues, as I've already said, are very complex to explain. And what our customers expect of us is that they trust us to do the right thing, the right thing in terms of the supply chain and the sustainability of the supply chains that serve our business. Uh, And we talk a lot in our business about new fashion values. 
Uh, and there is that expectation and increasing awareness of customers about the products that they buy and where they come from. And we've seen that in some very obvious examples in the recent past, where in the end, retailers and people like Sainsbury's will be held to account by our customers for the products that we buy. And it is our responsibility to our customers to make sure that we're doing that in the most economically, environmentally and socially sustainable way. We've only got a a short time left, so I just want to sort of, in a sense, look to the future. Um, Mike, just um, starting with you, I mean, obviously, you've got this commitment in the next seven years to reach one billion. But obviously, when you look at look beyond that, I mean, what more can you do? Is, is there more you can do other than just growing the market? You just grow the market. Or is actually more that you're, you, it's in your mind's eye? You can say, ah, we could also do that or we could do this. I mean, what, what else is in your mindset that a company of your size and with the respect you have can actually do to make a difference? Well, the primary thing we've already talked about, which is provide access to markets through our shops uh, and that probably is the single most powerful thing we can do Uh, and as I've already said in terms of our future developments we need to increasingly look at the triple bottom line and think very carefully about the sustainability of the products that we sell we need to think about how we help primary producers work further up the value chain so how they get involved in packing and processing the products that they sell and we think, need to think about the, the triple bottom line, the, 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 all the factors that are involved in the, in the products that we sell on a sustainable basis within our business. Okay. And, and Michael, just coming back to you, when, again, when I speak to fair trade producers, their, their biggest complaint is that the raw materials go out the country and then they come back as, as processed materials, which they then end up having to pay far more for. And actually, the, the real money is not maintained in the country. And it's all very well selling your coffee beans at a better price. But actually, if you sell your roasted coffee beans, you'll get a really much better price. So, and, and most of the money is still made in the processing and in, in the Western markets. In the future, what more can you do to make trade because actually trade still isn't fair is it absolutely there's a, there's a big piece of of, of the future is to uh, work with producer groups so that they can capture as much value as as, as they are able to and uh, to build better businesses uh, one of the uh, circumstances we're seeing uh, currently is there is there an emer- emerging southern markets for fair trade as well so there is now a fair trade market in india a fair trade market in south africa a fair trade market in kenya um, so you can now buy uh, fair trade coffee fair trade tea in kenya cabri dairy milk for example is is available as fair trade in Africa and it's African sugar and it's African cocoa available on the African market and that's uh, potentially transformative um, in, for two, in two ways first of all because of course um, the retention of profits and, and the, uh, the potential for upskilling and moving up the value chain but also from a, a, a sort of governance and ownership point of view and I can't overemphasize this the perception of, of, for farmers of owning aspects of their trade and of having a stakeholding in the future is phenomenally important if you're going to bring about development through trade. So um, fair trade is unique as a, as a global uh, system in being 50% owned by the farmers and that's more than just voting rights. The producer networks around the world now have 50% of the say in how we run fair trade, how we set standards. In the future that sense of ownership of having skin in the game, if you like, will be incredibly important. Final word to you Linda, you were desperate to get back again so you I can. I was desperate because you got straight onto the free trade issue when you said that that um, many developing countries can only sell their raw products and that they can't uh, manufacture them and sell them at a higher price. And that is simply because 
there isn't free trade and that more developed nations will um, allow them to sell them beans but not to sell the processed product. What we need there is free trade. And if you look at inter-African free trade, African nations don't trade with each other. And this is a complete disaster for Africa generally and for all the producers in Africa. If we were talking more about Africans trading with each other, we wouldn't have this problem, so much of this problem, where we need what you call fair trade. Somebody almost said free trade, and then they went back to fair trade because they realized they were supporting my point. And one other point, I think most people do care that most consumers in the UK, many of them do care. Um, a lot of them are not rich enough to pay extra to support producers in other countries who may be in need. And others make a decision that where they can support other people, they do it differently from fair trade. I just encourage people to trade openly, and then we wouldn't need to be discussing this other issue. Uh, Linda, thank you. Unfortunately, we've run out of time, but clearly there's a, a bit of a battle line here between free trade and fair trade, although we've also seen how they can also work together. So just want to pass on my thanks again to Mike Coop, Michael Gidney, Wolfgang Weinman, Linda Whetstone. Uh, remember, you can continue this discussion on our site. Go to guardian.co.uk forward slash sustainable business. My name is Joe Confino. The producer was Matt Hill with support from Jenny Pert. Thank you for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.